everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited today. We have a very special uh, episode of the podcast. We are looking back at the year 2009, 10 years ago, the best of the year 2009. This is really always a fun exercise to do every year. And I'm Rachel and Corrado is here. Hey, everybody. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So this is our, I think our third year doing this. I think that's correct. Yeah. So it's pretty fun. The thing I like the most about it is it gets me to watch things that I would never, you know, watch otherwise and kind of look back at at the, uh, the films that impacted me as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I really like, um, rewatching all the movies that I liked back then also the movies that I didn't love, but you know, there's a couple movies on my list that I have rediscovered mm-hmm. through this rewatch and that are now like some of my favorites. So I'm really, I'm always interested in doing that and it's fun to come up on the show and talk about it. Yes. 2009 was an interesting year in movies. Uh, the big, uh, let's talk about some of the, the big Oscars that year. Uh, we had the Hurt Locker, which you actually included in your list, the 2008 list. Yeah, that's, uh, if I can explain that, that's just to keep, I don't know, it's just, I have to go by the, uh, you know, original, very first release date, whatever is listed in IMDb when we do this list, just because I don't want anything to slip through the cracks, like things that didn't get released in the US or things like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So I try to go by that. And that's why I've heard Locker, even though it was released in the U.S. in 2009 and won the Oscar, was in my list for 2008. Mm. Okay, that makes sense. And uh, the, but it won the, uh, the Best Picture for yeah. uh, 2009. How do you feel about that? Um, I think it's a good winner. It's one of the better ones, I think, in the recent years. Also, the first movie directed by a woman to win, and obviously Catherine Bigelow won Best Director as well. And I think it's a really good movie. I mean, it was on my list for the best of 2008. And it probably would have also cracked my list this year if I had, you know, included it. Okay, yeah. I think it's a pretty good movie. It's it's, it's a pretty intimate war type movie where you really get in the heads of the uh of the soldiers and i appreciate that about it yes definitely it's more of a character study of this guy who's you know addicted to being a soldier and you know dealing with these bombs and high adrenaline stuff mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i really like it i think it's a great movie if people haven't seen it they should check it out yeah and uh and then also it was uh we had jeff bridges for crazy heart uh sandra bullock for the blind side uh you had uh monique for precious right uh and and then christoph waltz for inglorious bastards so Mm -hmm. there we go and yeah you had Hurt Locker and Precious taking taking the screenplay uh, awards, and you had Up for best animated feature film. We're going to talk about a lot of about animated films. This was, in my opinion, 
the best year ever for animated movies it was just incredible all right i agree with you that it's a great year um the best year maybe i could see that i can see that argument yeah we're definitely going to talk about a lot of animated movies today yes and so that's it was really exciting on that level and uh so yeah pretty good year at the oscars i would say and then no i mean i i like i guess a lot of people don't really like the blind side but i like it and i think sandra bullock it was a true sort of movie star that year uh with the blind side and with the proposal which i actually really funny so it's a big year for her i love sandra bullock but i you can count me with the people who don't really like the blind side i am not into that movie Mm. Uh, i like it i think it's a, a nice family story and uh i like the the real the real family is 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 really sweet and i don't know so i enjoy it uh that the box office the top 10 uh was mm. you had sherlock holmes number 10 okay. you had alvin and the chipmunks the squeakquel at number nine <laughs> classic yes obviously it's going to be number one in both our lists that's so right we'll be talking about that later <laughs> number eight you had the blind side uh, All right. number seven is star Trek. huge head right like that's a little oh, yeah. su- back then it was also a little surprising 255 million for the blind right. side mm-hmm. sandra bullock yeah she... that was a huge success that has to have played a role in her winning the oscar too oh, it was for just sure. such her year yeah she uh she was a real movie star that year i mean uh it was it was uh you know we don't see that as much uh these days where i don't know someone just on their name alone uh not only gets a i don't know i think she gives a pretty good performance but i think it was just her year and people at a certain point people bonded with with sandy and (laughs) and they were were gonna find a way to get her her oscar i think one way or another Hmm. i think she had been like kind of out of it for a while right i remember that in 2009 it was like a bit of a sandra bullock is back and she's a movie star and we love her so much and whatever you know so yeah it was definitely a moment for her and the proposal was in is 16th place of the year but it did it did very well especially for the budget Mm -hmm. Uh, so uh yeah and then number six was the hangover oh the hangover (laughs) number that's a 2009 movie yeah there was one i've never seen it i've never seen any of them yeah Um, you're not missing much it's (laughs) like that is just such a movie from 2009 like you know yeah yeah some of the movies that we're going to be talking about i think i also feel like are such a time capsule for mm-hmm. that time yeah so number five is up all right Funny. number four twilight saga new moon mm. your favorite uh number three is harry potter and the half-blood prince number two was transformers revenge of the fallen and number one was avatar uh was number one right the big avatar yes what are you grossing movie of all time at that point right yeah i think still is i don't think it's been beaten yeah i thought force awakens overtook it but maybe that's not true oh yeah no it did did avatar is not number two it's sandwiched between force awakens and black panther ah well what do you think about avatar 
I think Avatar is fine. I think it's fun. I think the effects are cool. The action is good because James Cameron's a good director. I think it's a fine movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fact that it was such a huge hit and so, you know, it got all the got the Oscar nominations. It didn't win, but it, at some point it seemed like it was going to and everyone was talking about Avatar and the 3D and everything. Mm-hmm. Kind of got blown, you know, blown up over... Like it was, yeah. you know, I don't, the word's not coming to me, like overpraised, I guess. I don't know. It was made too much of a big deal. Yeah, um, I I like Avatar just fine. I think it's too long for the story, the story that they had to tell. I think mm-hmm. that's the biggest flaw with it. If, it, if the movie was in 90 minutes it, or two hours, it would be a lot more palatable, but it's just it's too long <laughs> i can see that it's definitely a, a big overstuffed movie yeah um yeah and the yeah. script is you know a lot of people have talked about it the script is not anything you know that's going to impress you too much it's you know it's in service of the action and the effects and whatever but you know i don't think it's a bad movie by any means right uh yeah i don't know i just think it would be way better if it was shorter but yeah. i guess most movies <laughs> like yeah that. well yeah that's true for most movies i think <laughs> so yes i there as far as uh the real stinkers of that year uh we had uh we had transformers revenge of the fallen terrible rough uh we had all about steve which was an interesting movie because uh bullock yeah sandra bullock got the razzie and the uh and the oscar in the same year and she i think was there to accept it which is kind of kind of fun um and then a a movie that i really dislike called the ugly truth was uh was one which i just gerard butler he actually can act but man has he made terrible choices well Uh, this is another like flashback to 2009 when the ugly truth you know starring gerard butler and katherine heigl we were at the katherine heigl romantic comedy yeah back then and there was one called old dogs which is really rough with rob williams and john travolta right it's not great and <laughs> and the bride wars was another terrible romantic comedy yeah, that I year did, i saw that that was really rough was how a- about the lovely bones have you seen that peter jackson oh i haven't but it sounded terrible yeah, yeah that's another another clunker mm-hmm. um, social ronan plays this girl who goes to the afterlife and has to like solve the mystery of her own death or something like that um yeah it was not good yeah i was really bummed about the confessions of a shopaholic because i love the books uh, sophie kinsella is such a funny writer and she does such a good job of taking sort of an issue of the day and crafting a delightful but still somewhat insightful uh romantic 
uh, chiclet, I guess, book, for lack of a better phrase. Mm-hmm. And what they did in the movie is they combined two of her books into this one movie, and they just removed all of sort of the more biting aspects of it. They they removed all of her satire and just made it so generic and lame and it was frustrating because i just feel like that especially that first shopaholic book it's all there it's like the perfect romantic comedy it's 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 just laid out for you you don't have and so i felt like they almost had to go out of their way to make it so bad which was just frustrating as a fan of the books for me yeah but yeah there was a there was a terrible uh underworld movie that year there uh it was there were definitely the flops that chipmunks movie i can't believe that made that much money those movies are still going on right there's still new movies coming in the <laughs> alvin franchise i forget when just the making last, that i forget when the last one is but there were like four or five i i also really just like 2012 with uh, Roland Emmerich I just oh yeah not for Red me John Cusick I think yeah his movies just exhaust me I don't like them and I uh, there was also Paul Blart Mall Cop that year the great <laughs> Kevin James yes and Terminator Salvation Ugh, Oof. not my favorite that- Okay, so that's another flashback. Do you remember Terminator Salvation was the movie where they got the clip of Christian Bale screaming at the cinematographer or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it's been 10 years since then. Isn't that crazy? Crazy. Time flies. (laughs) Also, another terrible movie that year is X-Men Origins Wolverine. One of the worst comic book movies I've ever seen is just terrible 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 so oh, yeah and remember there was a leak of that movie in which the effects weren't finished and some people were like i don't know if you found out about that but the movie leaked online or something and there was a whole cut of the movie that was basically the final cut but with no effects so you could see all the green screens and that sort of thing oh i don't know if you knew about that back then that was kind I, of funny when that i happened. forgot about that but yeah it's it's really it actually starts out decent but then yeah it's it's really really bad but let's dive into our list this will be really fun so okay my number 10 is called young victoria you know i love my costume dramas and this is obviously about queen victoria and i love the show victoria on pbs i think it's so well done and i think she's a really interesting person a really interesting character and it's really a movie about a marriage and victoria and albert had such a real love match and a real connection and the way their the the ebbs and flows to their marriage i think is really interesting and uh, moving and emily blunt is so great (laughs) in uh in as queen victoria she's just wonderful and i think it has one of the best proposal scenes in a movie it's so good and i just really the costumes sandy powell incredible and i just love it i think it's a really good good movie all right well this is the only movie on your list that i haven't seen Mm -hmm. um and part of it is because i have a personal grudge against it because it won the best costume design oscar over 
a different movie that I think deserves it. And it's going to be later in my list. So we will be ah. talking about that movie okay. later. But the costumes are stunning. And uh, I don't know. I just, I just really, I really like yeah. it. I mean, and- Sandy Powell is an amazing genius. I'm sure she did a great job. But the costumes in the movie that I'm talking about, they're just like some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and, and just Emily Blunt is just, she's just phenomenal. And so anyway, I really recommend checking it out. If you like romances, movies about marriage and uh, costume, costume dramas, period pieces, whatever you want to call them. It's a really good one. So what do you have at number 10? My number 10 is a movie that didn't come out in the U.S. until 2015, actually. And that is the movie about Ellie. It is a movie by the Iranian filmmaker Asghar Farhadi, who some people might know him from, he's won two foreign language film Oscars for A Separation and most recently for The Salesman a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of the movie that he made before A Separation before he really broke through, but this did play at the Berlin Film Festival and got really good reviews. And I think it was almost like a springboard into his next movie, which was bigger and really gave him his international break. But anyway, this movie is great. It's called About Ellie. And it's um, basically this group of friends that go to spend the weekend at the beach house. And uh, one of these friends is this woman, Seppi Day, who is uh, sort of trying to play matchmaker with two of her friends. And what happens is that halfway through the movie, one of the friends, the, her name is Ellie, is the one that she's trying to hook up with one of her other friends. Um, she disappears. And it's a whole story about how this people, what exactly happened with Ellie and what happens next is that you realize that because they're living in this sort of authoritarian totalitarian government in Iran it has really the system has made it so that you can't really do the things that you want to do or can be honest so you have to like lie all the time about really little things um, in order to you know to just live your life and it ends up making it so that everything is a lie and you cannot really um, you get embroiled in this whole thing so like everything is illegal so you can't you know you can't be out if you're married or you can't do this and you can't do that everything is frowned upon and so you end up having this twisted logic and nobody can really discover what exactly happened and nobody can be honest about what went down with this girl because the system won't allow it and it's a really fascinating uh, really well-written movie about you know this whole thing it's like a social social mm-hmm. commentary yeah i i didn't get to see this one but it definitely sounds it sounds interesting where would you rank it as far as his movies i actually haven't seen any of his movies i need to get on um so i would recommend his movies uh, even to people who don't usually watch foreign films because he's really good at writing this very like engaging mysterious plots so his movies always have a lot of twists and revelations and what happens next so that makes them really appealing i think to the wider audience so i would recommend them i think this is one of his best this and separation i think are the two that i like the most um very cool he's got a new movie out i think right now called everybody knows with penelope cruz and javier bardem um which i haven't seen yet but i mean i want to see it 
yeah i've heard of that i heard of that cool all yeah. right well my number nine is the secret of kells and i just got to interview uh, animator tom moore on my channel which was incredible amazing i love his animation they're so beautiful his attention to detail and the way that everything just kind of flows and moves is so beautiful and i actually think this movie has gotten better with age because i don't know there's definitely some things that feel incredibly relevant about it in the way that that kellock the the uh patriarch i guess of the movie he is so scared he's just operating off of fear and you know he's building a wall which obviously hmm. is somewhat relevant um and i like the way that he as an animator that he has lore without feeling the need to really explain it he just trusts the audience that they'll be able to get that oh this character's sweet or oh this character is is scary or oh you know he doesn't waste time with just exposition which a lot of time loses me about fantasy is becomes very boring and you know they don't feel a need to sort of explain osling for instance or explain the book you just know that it's a it's a special book and and that's it and he's on a journey to get the ink and that's it that's all you need to know and i i think he also has really good just pure characters as his lead uh whether it's in song of the sea uh with ben and here with the little boy brendan and i i think by the end when he comes back and uh to his uh uncle i think it's i think it works i think it's emotionally moving and i just i really think it's a beautiful little little movie i like Song of the sea better but i still think it's it's a strong certainly first offering from a studio uh um, cartoon saloon and uh, from tom moore so i really enjoy it cool um i think it's a sweet movie too um the animation is gorgeous the design is amazing yeah um i do think the the story is a little slight and a little i don't know it's it just i'm not totally into it you know but i i think it's good i would recommend it for like kids it feels like very much like a kids movie to me not so much like one that it's like you know what people used to say about picture like the whole family like it's for kids but the adults will enjoy it too i think this i can appreciate the craftsmanship um but i would still say it's just like for kids mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting i mean it does kind of broach broad more mature topics of religion and some other things but it definitely has those uh those childlike elements that uh, you know kids are gonna and it's really interesting because in both of his movies are have mature themes but are uh are very very approachable for children and like mm -hmm. like in song in the sea which i do think is his masterpiece i think it's better than this but uh but anyway i think that it's the kind of you think oh is it too sad for kids but every kid i've ever watched it with or recommended it to has loved it uh so i don't think we sometimes give kids enough credit uh for mm. uh, these darker th you know some of these darker themes but but yeah i'm i'm fine with that i just uh, i just love what he's done for animation and i'm just so excited for anything yeah. that cartoon saloon gives i'm 
um, definitely one of the, yeah. the exciting studios um, mm -hmm. out there, you know, independent sort of alternative animation to the big 3D computer animated houses. Yes. And so if you want to listen to my interview with Tom Moore, I'll put a link in the description section. You can check it out because it was, I was so excited, of course. So what do you have for number nine? Number nine for me, also an animated movie. It's Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Uh -huh. um, the first movie by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who are very famous nowadays after so many hits. Um, the reason my, this is on my list, it's because, very simple, I don't have much to say about it other than it is just so, so funny. I think it's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. I think there's so many jokes one after the other. I love so much about it. I love the fact that it's a movie that just wants to be a cartoon, you know, like it's really using sort of like the logic of old cartoons, the visuals of old cartoons, the animation style, the character design, everything is just cartoony and it's comedy and it's funny. And I had such a blast watching it. I, I love it. It reminds me of like the great Looney Tunes cartoons almost. I love it so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when it first came out, I was not a fan of this movie because I felt like it kind of had a gimmick and then just kind of ran it into the ground a little bit. You know, the, the oh, it's raining food. We get it. Uh, but I have to say, I've, and I didn't love the animation, the sort of the weird faces, the way it's sort of animated. But I have to say, like, it's grown on me over at times. I think it is a it is a pretty funny satire on disaster movies. I mean, that's what it's trying to do. And uh, so I don't, I still don't love it, but I I definitely can see why it made your list and why. You I it. yeah, I think the the story of the movie is totally boilerplate, like animated movie or you know like comedy stuff that it's not particularly inspired i don't think i just think they do so many funny things with it it's just yeah a movie that wants to be funny and i think on that front it totally succeeds like wildly mm -hmm. yeah so my number eight is kind of my i mean i guess some of mine did well but this is the most sort of traditional blockbuster on my list i have star trek I think they did a really good job. First of all, casting the movie, I think, was brilliant. Pretty much all the casting was great. And that's tough to do when you have such an iconic property and you're rebooting it, you know, to get a new Kirk and a new uh, Bones and a new all the things and to have it be new Spock and have it be satisfying, I think, was very well done. I, I think that it's it's just an entertaining blockbuster it's got good action it's uh, i mean jj knows how to do this he knows how to put together an entertaining blockbuster and he did a good job mm -hmm. i agree i agree i think um i agree basically with everything you said i think it's a really good movie i think it feels to me almost like the i don't know it's a good like measuring stick for the summer blockbuster i think yeah. if you yeah like how does this compare to star trek um mm -hmm. i do think at the beginning i'm a little looking back at it a little bummed out about the 
Uhura as a character, the way they portray yeah. her in the in the movie, especially at the beginning. She just has this scene in which Kirk flirts with her and he comes off as a big creep, in my opinion, rewatching it. And then she's got that scene in which she's like in her underwear or whatever. It doesn't seem like know what to do with her and for her to be like a lady, I guess. Um, but once the movie gets on the Enterprise, I think it like really moves and doesn't let go from there. I think everything that happens after they get on the ship is um, great. Like JJ, like you said, just going forward, moving, moving, moving without like any hiccups or any like stumbles. And I think yeah. that's what makes the movie so good. Yeah, I agree with you there. I, I didn't really like the Uhura-Spock relationship in these movies and it just i kind of i agree that they didn't really quite know what to do with her which was a shame because the original uhura was very you know groundbreaking uh in uh her uh you know an african-american woman having that kind of role in a sci-fi show was mm -hmm. very uh very important and uh and people <laughs> like oprah and many other people said that how meaningful that uh, portrayal in that role was to them uh so i don't know they yeah i agree they kind of dropped on that one but it it, it i agree it, it's just a it's a really satisfying summer movie so mm -hmm. that's definitely I, I have it in mind definitely. so what do you have at number eight my number eight is the movie mother not the one with jennifer lawrence from a couple of years ago <laughs> but the one from 2009 which was directed by Jung Bung Ho, I hope I'm pronouncing that somewhat okay. Um, he's a South Korean director. And this is a movie about a woman whose son is accused of murder and she wants to prove that he didn't do it. Um, and the thing that I like so much about this movie is I guess it just feels very original in a couple of ways. First of all, I think Bong Joon-ho has this sort of, uh, he likes to mix like comedy and like uh, drama and, and horror and, you know, very violent things all in one place in weird, unexpected ways. Like, I feel like, I think you watched this movie, right, Rachel, in preparation? Yes, I did. So I feel like, I don't know if you agree with this, but I feel like in a lot of places in this movie, when you expect things to be very serious, there is suddenly a funny thing. Or like when you everything is funny, then there's like this serious or violent thing that happens. And I think there's a lot of like misdirection and, and a very playful use of those like tone shifts. I don't know if you agree with yeah, that. Yeah, I can see that. I started out the movie really not liking it. I thought that he was really irritating and i thought that she was kind of annoying and i was just like oh no what did i get myself into watching this movie uh but i have to say once the case starts i think it starts to work for me and i think that it definitely takes you on places that are surprising that you it's not a a, a typical uh underdog mystery kind of movie mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh it uh so i definitely could see why you enjoyed it uh it was very unpredictable uh for sure yes i think it's also very well made i feel like he's really good at like building up misdirection and tension and things like that like the scene with 
do you remember the scene with the water bottle mm-hmm. where she has to I feel like that scene is so tense and it's just about a water bottle I don't know I yeah. feel like it's everything is very super well done um in terms of theme I see it as this sort of idea of like fa- family relationships versus sort of like broader justice like you have this woman who is willing to do anything for her son um regardless of whether or not he did the murder you know like she isn't 100% sure that he didn't do it I guess she believes that he didn't do it and that's why she's gonna do anything to prove him innocent and it's a very I don't know like interesting take on that sort of thing of like when our uh, like I guess justice versus like our personal emotions and what we want to be true versus what is actually true I don't know if you see that also yeah I can see that yeah it's an interesting pick and it was a fun fun one to watch because I never would have watched it if it wasn't on your list so that was fun so number seven for me is Fantastic Mr. Fox and yes (laughs) and yeah i just think it's really charming we're gonna talk about it we're gonna punt that and talk about it later on uh list but uh, i love stop motion and i i love the attention to detail and stop motion and how they're able to create their whole little worlds with uh they literally create the world i just think it's it's really cool and uh, so yeah i have it at number seven Great. We'll talk about it later. Yes. So what is your number seven? My number seven is the movie Dog Tooth. And this is directed by Yorgos Lantimos, who has become an unexpected uh, success story in the U.S. He's made uh, The Lobster and The Favorite, which was nominated for a bunch of Oscars last year. Um, But this is his very, I think this is his first movie. Maybe it's his second. Um, and uh, it's this story basically about this family who is, lives in this secluded house and the dad is, and the mom has basically decided that they want to protect their children and so they don't let them out and they tell them this old, these kind of like rules about the world that are totally warped. You know, they, they, they say certain words mean different things from what they actually mean they don't let them watch any television or have any contact with the outside world. They say that if they go beyond the wall of the house, they're going to, um, it's like a danger zone where they're going to be eaten by animals or something. Cats are seen as like these vicious creatures that want to get you. And so this is all this paranoia about never leaving the house and all these rules about what they can and cannot do. And it's played out in a very creepy and yet kind of comedic way, which I think it's kind of like the Lantimos's, mm-hmm. his like brand of humor, which is really dark and really disturbing. Um, I think this movie works especially well if you see it as sort of like uh, uh, an introduction to a director who has a unique vision, right? Because mm-hmm. I feel like he's trying to do things that a lot of other directors have tried to do like, I think of like a Lars von Trier or a Michael Haneke who are really dark and go to these very dark oppressive themes, but he actually does it in a way that really works for me. Those directors I don't usually love, but he has this like, because he has this like satirical, very darkly comic thing to it, I think it works 
much better for me. And it's just a package that I hadn't seen before. I feel it, it feels unique to me. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen this one, but it definitely sounds interesting. So, um, yeah. yeah. All right. My number six is the movie Up in the Air. And I love Jason Reitman. You know my deep and abiding love for Juno. And I think what Jason Reitman does so well in most of his movies is he presents people who think they have everything figured out. They think they know everything. They think they have uh, this sort of handle on the world. Like Juno thinks that she knows what everybody should be doing and, and have, has it all figured out. And then her journey realizes she really doesn't know. And I think you have a similar sort of story here. We have this character uh, played by George Clooney who thinks he has everything figured out. It starts out with him giving this whole speech about how uh, the, you know, life is a backpack and you have the, you know, the right things are, are these relationships sort of weighing you down and uh, what, what, if you can be kind of free from that. And he, he's this guy who goes in and does these layoffs and he thinks that he, uh, he has sort of a handle on what people need and that he is doing kind of a good thing. And then this Anna Kendrick comes in and she wants to do it all by video conferencing and, and she's just sort of this modern uh, thinker. And he's so proud about the fact that he's just about to get this, this huge uh, uh, mileage. I forget how many uh, setting some like records or whatever's frequent flyer miles. And anyway, it, he thinks he has everything sort of figured out. And, uh, and through the course of the movie, through this Anna Kendrick character, he realizes that he doesn't. And I particularly when he takes this big risk and he goes to meet this woman that he's had this on and off again thing played by Vera Farmiga. Uh, and it turns out to not end up the way that he thinks the risk will pay off. I, I think that's actually quite devastating. And mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, sort of his, when he's giving the, backpack speech at the end and he realizes he doesn't believe it anymore i think it's really moving and uh i i just i think it's such a good sort of capture of of sort of modern american work and work is a big kind of theme of mind that i like in movies when when people talk about our motivations for work why we overwork all this different stuff is one of my favorite themes and I think that Anna Kendrick is wonderful in the role that she has. And I Vera Farmiga is really good. And I think George Clooney, it's perfect. I mean, this is, this is the role that kind of roles he was born to play. I think he just gets that sort of tired, uh, <laughs> um, uh, world weary kind of guy uh, down, uh, but you still like him because he's a likable actor. And so anyway, I, I really think it's great. And so I have it at six. Yeah, I think you know that I'm not the biggest fan of this movie. Um, I think um, I think it's a story in you know the broad sense. I think it it's okay. It works. We've seen stories like this of a guy who's like too much into his work and hasn't really opened up to mm-hmm. relationships and that sort of thing. So I think that part is fine. But I think the thing that doesn't really work for me is making it about this guy who fires people for a living. And then, you know, 2009 was right after the recession happened. 
And in the movie, they make this choice of having real people who actually lost their jobs be like sort of interviewed in certain scenes and, and play themselves. And there's this whole thing of like being angry about being fired and why am I getting fired? And some of the people that George Clooney fires in the movie are played by actual people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that sort of thing. And I think putting those things in comparison, I just think you can't, I don't think it works anymore. I think at that point, I'm much more interested in those people. And I'm, and I don't really feel like I want to follow George Clooney. And I don't really care about his personal thing. There's this whole thing that's going on around him in which all these people are getting fired and he's doing this horrible thing. And sure, doing it over Skype is going to be a little less personal but what he's doing is also not that personal at all he's just some rando who's showing up to fire people that he didn't even work with so i don't know that's the thing that i feel like the concept i feel like it's a concept for satire and the movie wants to be more of a like romantic comedy like genuine thing and i don't the mix doesn't really work for me somehow i actually think that that he comes to realize by the end that what he thought was was the kinder kind of way to do it is not actually i think he comes to that realization by the end uh but i i i just think it's a really well written and well acted look at sort of modern work and also just how this person thinks they have everything figured out but actually really doesn't so uh but yeah i mean I guess we'll disagree to disagree on this one because I I think yeah. it's really great mm-hmm. and uh, I I really like uh, the I really like his journey in the in the story. So anyway, uh, what what All did right, you have at number? On. What did you have at number six? At number six, a movie that I assume you haven't seen and probably will not, which is <laughs> *Inglorious Bastards* by Quentin no. Tarantino. Right. Um, it's I. I just, for some reason, I assume that Tarantino is not your bag, and I'm pretty sure that's correct. I don't know if we have yes. actually talked about it, but he doesn't seem to be the kind of director you would enjoy regardless. No. But um, this is the movie that he made basically about World War II and this sort of revenge plan to uh, kill Hitler. And, um, you know, interesting, in 2009, when I first saw the movie, the idea of like taking revenge of the Nazis seemed like some like an abstract thing to do, but now it feels like a little more um, prescient in some ways for me personally. Um, feels more irrelevant than it did in two thousand nine, mm-hmm. um, and it's so it has this like um, it it feels more urgent in that way. But regardless of that, I just think it's a very bold movie i don't always love tarantino i think his last couple movies have been kind of uh too messy and don't really work for me but this i think really does and i think part of it is it's the last movie that he made with his editor um sally menke before she passed away sadly um she was really young she was in her 50s i think Mm. um but she was her collaborator his collaborator from the beginning and she was her his editor and she is brilliant and i think she really understood the rhythms of tarantino and what he was trying to do and in this movie you have these really long conversations that are building up to like very tense moments and like there's so much suspense and all of that i think she really knows how to work with him i think the movies that he's made since 
feel overlong and like they're repetitive and they don't really get to where they want to go and indulgent. I think she really knew how to uh, trim him into a really nice package. I think this movie is fun. If you're into that kind of movie, if you like um, his sort of things, I think you will like this. Um, it is a little bit... Um, I think there's like uh, questions of like whether or not it's acceptable and like in good taste, the kinds of things that he does in portraying World War II. Um, uh, that's a bigger conversation, I think. I just think it's very bold and it's very unique and it works for me. So I have it number six. Cool. Yeah, I've only started watching Pulp Fiction and I've tried, I watched, tried to start watching it like twice and I was just both times i'm like you know it's not for me and so that's the only one of his movies that i've everyone else i'm just like eh, i don't think so i don't think it's for yeah, me i don't know i don't know if there's a tarantino movie for you i'm gonna think of that if there's one that maybe i think the closest one that you would like there still has a lot of content that i don't think you would be really into but jackie brown is kind of a love story in a lot of ways so that might be the one that i would recommend if i had to yeah um, but um i don't know yeah Probably. i've heard that actually from a few from a couple other people about jackie brown so yeah. that's interesting but yeah very cool so my number five is sort of my surrealist crazy comedy at cloudy with chance i have a town mm -hmm. called panic which is this french movie stop motion that's so funny i just died laughing from the very beginning when I gets all those bricks delivered <laughs> it's <like> 55 <laughs> million or whatever how many bricks it's so many and uh and i don't know just little gags that just pay off so well like the horse uh has this girlfriend horse and she is just convinced he's not going to show up for those music lessons that he signed up for and then throughout the whole movie there'll be uh, they'll be like under the sea or in different places and he'll get a phone call from her and he's like where are you why aren't you at the <laughs> lesson and uh, i don't that to me is just hilarious it's definitely not for everybody if you don't like obviously they have a talking horse and a cowboy and a like it, it's nonsensical but it won't be for everybody but i just i just think it's so funny and i really you just really enjoy it mm -hmm. i'm very glad that you brought up cloudy with a chance of meatballs because it, i think they would make a great double feature of like totally um, ridiculous hilarious yeah. animation i really like this movie too right? yeah. it's so crazy definitely it, it's just so hyperactive it just yeah. like you know it's so loud and it's so many things going on and it's but it's also so funny if you find if you're into its wavelength i think you're just gonna have a blast mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it's very short too yeah yes uh, it's based on a, a television show i believe in france they have this television show but yeah if you kind of like sort of monty python i think it's kind of in that mm -hmm. in that vein kind of of absurdism that's just really really funny and it's i did i'm oh, sorry Sorry, I think it's almost like watching Monty Python if you're like fast forward and like it's twice the speed. I yeah. feel like it's, you know. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so what did you have at number five? Uh, number five for me is Everyone Else. 
This is a German movie mm-hmm. um, directed by Martin Ade, who directed a movie called Tony Erdman a couple years ago, which was, you know, nominated and it, uh, critics really loved it. It's a really great, funny movie. This uh-huh. is a little different. This is the movie she made before Tony Erdman. And it's basically a story about a relationship to, uh, you know, a guy and a girl, they're on vacation in uh, somewhere in Italy, I believe. And they have rented this house. Well, actually, the house belongs to one of their parents. But anyway, they're in this house. And basically, we follow them for like about two days as they like have this moment in their relationship. And they just have to, because they're isolated from from their world and it's just the two of them, they really start to think about this relationship and what it means to them and what's going on. Um, the thing that's really impressive to me about this movie is I think one of the best movies that I've seen at depicting the sort of intimacy and the detail of like a romantic relationship that has been going on for a while. I think it's really, really truthful about the like the little things that you start to think about when you've been with a person for a long time and the little things mm-hmm. that start to annoy you and the insecurities and this whole question of like, should we be together or should we not be together? What would be better for us? And the movie um, has an interesting way of, I think one can come out of the movie thinking either thing. I think some people will conclude these people shouldn't be together. Some people will conclude these people should be together. They can make it work. And I think that's one of the really fascinating movies. It's If you like this sort of thing, I would compare it to something like the before movie, the before sunset moon, especially the last one before midnight, since, mm-hmm. you know, it's really about like assessing this relationship. If you're into that kind of thing, I think you will enjoy this movie. I think it's beautiful. It is very, it touched me in a very personal way. I think it's really beautifully made. It's not a big, you know, splashy movie. It's very small, very intimate, but wonderful. It's called Everyone Else. Cool. Yeah, that sounds good. I haven't seen, I didn't get to see that one, but yeah, it sounds good. All right. My number four is the movie Coraline. I really like this movie because first of all, visually, it's just so beautiful. The stop motion uh, from like a, the, it's just, it's really scary. It's uh, a true, I think, horror movie for kids, which I, I admire and respect that they went for it. As far as that, uh, I mean, the button eyes is pretty scary uh, for for kids, I think. And, and I guess what I really appreciate about the movie is that the, the her, Coraline, her real parents are kind of the worst and really don't take good care of her. And they don't give her much reason to, to love them. But I think it's admirable that the script kind of makes her fight for them anyway and it's really easy to fight for people that are really lovable it's harder to fight for people that aren't that lovable and i i think that uh that she uh she could so easily give into the button people and but she's she recognizes that even though her parents are very flawed uh they are they're real you know they're real and and so she doesn't give in to the button people good i think it's good too um i i don't know why it is for some reason and i really can't put my finger on it i just don't connect with the movie the way that i want to 
I appreciate a lot of things about it and it just doesn't click for me to the next level. You know, I do think it's a good movie. I think it's uh, definitely beautiful looking. I think Henry Selick is an amazing director, wonderful animator and um, everything looks amazing. It is to this day, the best uh, 3D movie that I've ever seen. And I haven't seen that many movies in 3D, to be honest, but this one, like even more so than Avatar or How to Train Your Dragon, I think it looked amazing in 3D when I saw it in the theater. Um, it, I just think uh, stop motion lends itself so well to 3D and Henry Selick does an amazing job. Like, yeah. especially when the spider webs come in and she's like, you know, oh, the tunnels and that sort of thing. That is such a wonderful thing to see in 3D because it really benefits from, you know, the depths of that yeah. sort of thing. Well, and it does such a good job of creating tone and atmosphere. I did a video a while back on movies I thought had great atmosphere and I included Coraline because uh, I think it just, it, it just has such does such a good job of, of creating this atmosphere. And, and uh, I just really like Coraline as a character. I think she's really cool. And so, yeah. So what do you have at number four? Um, let me see. Number four. Number four for me is Bright Star. Mm. So Bright Star, directed by Jane Campion, got nominated for Best Costume Design at the Oscars mm-hmm. in 2009. It's only nomination. <laughs> And yeah. it lost. It should have been nominated for every single award almost at the Oscars in 2009. It only was nominated for one and it couldn't even win it, even though it totally deserves it because the dresses are part of the story. The protagonist of the movie, Fanny, is a dressmaker. Mm-hmm. And she makes this like, it's the whole point that she makes these extravagant dresses that are different from everyone else. And even though I don't know anything about fashion from that time, I can see these dresses and I know that they're different from everyone else's dresses and in which ways Mm -hmm. um, and why they feel like a little off Mm -hmm. to everyone else. Um, I think that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. But anyway, in a broader sense, Bright Star is this amazing love story, romance between Fanny and uh, the poet uh, John Keats. And I think it's just... It's just like a swoon of romance, I feel like. It's one of the most romantic movies I've ever seen. Um, Especially, I think it's really great at making these like visual representations of what love feels like. Um, I think of two scenes in particular. There's which Fanny is like on her um, bed, like I think she's writing a letter or something. And then like this sort of breeze through the window and the, the light changes and the curtain like goes up and she's like feeling the breeze in her face and it's like such a thing of like a new breath into her room into her world that has changed now that she's in love i think it's just a beautiful you know like portraying in images and in sounds the feelings of being in love and i think that's what this movie does so well Mm-hmm. yeah if I, if i had known that this was on your list i i would have put it on my list this is a great movie i it's so uh, po- poetic and uh, i mean uh, yeah uh, yeah with obviously about a poet but i don't mm-hmm. know it's just it's just really beautiful and their connection their chemistry uh is so great and uh you know it's obviously it's sad uh but i don't know it earns all of its emotion it's really good i really like it yes mm-hmm. very good choice all right well my number three is where the wild things are 
and this is a really interesting movie because i went to see it with my brother-in-law my sister and well, my two sisters and my brother-in-law so there were four of us two of us loved it thought it was incredible and then the two of them didn't like it at all <laughs> it was one of those polarizing sort of films that i can think of as far as immediate reaction out of the theater and the thing i really related to about it is this whole idea of like being out of control and that's a big theme of the movie is you're out of control and and i can remember as a kid just being so frustrated like why won't anybody listen to me like i in my mind i had interesting ideas in my mind i had uh thoughtful ideas why why did nobody care what i think nobody cared what i wanted out of the world and uh, there's so many moments in this movie where the the little boy he is just trying to be listened to he's trying to make some sense and and because he's not listened to he feels out of control and he is out of control and he kind of he gets to learn from being the king of these creatures he gets to learn about his mother and his mother becomes a real person to him because he realizes uh, that she doesn't have control either and just like he didn't have control of the creatures and of the wild things and i i just love it i love this movie i love the fact they used they didn't go cgi and they used you know creature effects from jim henson i love all the vocal performances are so great i love the whole idea of the sun dying and like feeling out of control and there was one time when i was in high school i remember just being so frustrated at my family because everybody in my family was very very different from me and i i remember saying to them like at school i'm the normal one but then i come home and i'm the weird one like i you i remember telling them i said you all are the weird ones i'm the normal one and obviously that's not like an effective thing to say but it was how i was feeling at the time when uh when you just feel like nobody's listening to you and just very frustrated and it just captures that emotion of childhood and growing up i think better than almost anything i can think of mm -hmm. The reason I'm being so silent is because we will talk about it again. <laughs> That's three. right. I forgot. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, so what do you have at three? And number three, I have uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Ah, okay, good. Directed by Wes Anderson, adapted from the Roald Dahl book. And have you ever written the, read that book, Rachel? Uh -huh. Yeah. How do you think it works as an adaptation? Because I haven't read that particular Roald Dahl. Oh. I think it's the best Roald Dahl adaptation, actually, as far as book to movie. It's pretty pretty close. And uh, Roald Dahl is very, very difficult to adapt to movies because he has, he has this darkness to him that kids really like, but that when it's portrayed visually, as opposed to, you know, listening or, or reading it, it just is weird. It's just hard. And I, I think that this is, they managed to get enough whimsy because of Wes Anderson's style that mm -hmm. I think it, it it does a good job with that uh, that transition. I mean, you can either the problem with Roald Dahl is you can either add too much whimsy, like the BFG did, in my opinion, or mm -hmm. you can not add enough and it ends up being uh, 
even though I like the film, you know, something like Matilda or something like that, that's a little, um, I think it's too, too far with, uh, it's, it's a, it gets a little mean spirited. So I, I don't know. It's, it's tricky. It's very difficult, but I think this adds the right amount of whimsy to make the story work. And it's, it's just so detailed with the stop motion that I, I really do enjoy it as well. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I think, um, stop motion is really a perfect you know medium for Wes Anderson because he can be as like micromanaging with all the details as he wants and um he can have a great time because this full the movie is full of all these funny clever little things and so playful um I think it's very clever I love the animation of the fur which is something that people would usually avoid because it's not going to look perfect in stop motion because the fur is going always going to be like moving a little bit but i think wes anderson was into that and he is into the idea of letting you know that these things are uh, puppets and they're animated and it's not like reality and he has a lot of fun with that i feel like mm-hmm. i also really love the character of ash played by jason schwartzman he's the little the son mm-hmm. um, I think his whole frustration is really funny and he's really yeah. adorable and, and relatable too. Yeah. And I really like the whole cuss cuss joke. I think that's really funny. It just, they use the, whole what? the cuss cuss. And oh yeah. Cuss cuss. Oh, that I, is so good. Yeah. And there's so many great um, details. Like I love the fact that they, when they're all these like civilized animals, but when they eat, they like turn into like complete, like, you know, wild things, and they're just like rawr, 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 eating right. their food. I think it's so funny. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah, it's it's really fun. I obviously it's on my list, so I really enjoy it. So it's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so my number two is the Five Hundred Days of Summer. Uh, this is a movie that I just love. I I think that it it. I mean, they say right at the beginning that it's not a love story, and it it and yet it has a lot of the trappings of a love story, but I think that it just turns sort of the romantic comedy on its head. And I, I think it's one of the only uses of nonlinear storytelling that I actually like, I think putting sort of the pieces together of this relationship is really interesting. And I love just some of the creative touches that it has. Like I love the whole sequence on expectation versus reality. I think is brilliant. Mm. I love that whole scene. I love just, I don't know, like when it, it, all of a sudden becomes a sketch and a drawing and a painting. I just think that's really fun and just has all these sort of creative touches that are really cool. When he does the musical number was really fun and, and (laughs) with the, you know, animated bird. And I, I love the two of their performances. Like, yes, she's a total manic pixie dream girl, but I don't really care. I like it. Mm -hmm. And I, I like the fact that it's kind of dared to, go with it with the ending with the sort of untidy ending because it's what this characters and the story actually needs but a lot of movies wouldn't dare to kind of do that and would want to give a happy ending to the thing uh but i just think it's sort of pitch perfect with them sitting there on that bench and realizing that they needed each other for that time but and they learned something from the experience but they uh they're you know they were not it was not meant to be. And I mean, I think they, they dare to sort of make her sometimes an unlikable character with what she does, the way that they 
treat each other which makes it feel kind of raw and real to me despite it having a lot of whimsical elements and i don't know i just i love it i think it's great hmm. i um, watched this last night in preparation for today okay. um back in 2009 this was one of my favorite movies of the year yeah. it was the glorious bastards star trek and this were my favorites hmm. um I think more than any other movie on our lists, this seems to me like the one that has, that feels the most like 2009 mm -hmm. and that it has aged in very weird ways for me. Um, I, I think it works, but I think it's perspective. I just feel like if it were made today, it wouldn't go like this. Like, I feel like it's a little too close to the male character's perspective and and it's not um i feel like if it was done today it would question a little more some of its perspective on on how it's depicting the summer character and some of the things that the guy does but i still think it kind of works despite of all the things that have not aged so well about it um i don't want to go on too much about it because i don't feel like it's the moment mm -hmm. for it um I agree with you that some of the choices are really inspired the musical number, the expectations versus reality. Um, I think it's, I think, I think it's, I think it's aged in weird ways. I don't know how to talk about it. I just saw it last night. So I have, to, I think if I was really going to talk about the things that worked for me back then that don't anymore now, I would really have to think about it. Um, so I'm just going to say okay. it's a fun movie for sure. Um, the only thing that I will say, is that I had forgotten this movie features Chloe Grace Moretz, who is my nemesis. Oh, you and hate her. It's not that I hate her, but like there's something about her. I don't know what it is. And in this movie, she plays like this precocious little kid, which is also one of my worst type of characters. So that was the part that I think was the roughest for me. I had forgotten totally that mm. she was in it. And then when I saw her, I was like, oh no, Chloe Grace Moretz. <laughs> Fair enough. We all have those, those ones yeah. that we're drawn to more than others. Uh, so what do you have at number two? My number two is Drag Me to Hell. Yeah. With uh, director Sam Raimi. And it's this movie, very simple, about this woman who makes the wrong decision and she mistreats this like old lady. And guess what? The old lady puts a curse on her and now she's being dragged to hell and has to stop it. Um, I just think this movie rules. I just think it's one, it's so much fun. I think the back and forth between comedy and, and horror is so fun. This is one of the most memorable experiences I've had at the movie theater ever. Like I remember when I went to see it, I had never been like so, had this feeling of like any moment I could be either laughing out loud or like super tense because something horrible and scary is about to happen. Mm -hmm. And I carry that experience to this day and I rewatched this earlier this year to prepare for this episode and I just had a blast with it. I just think it's such a tight, uh, effective little horror movie that is also a lot of fun and funny and I, 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 just, I just think it rules. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, so I watched this for this episode, and I I I think it's one of those ones that's that's why this kind of exercise is helpful because I would never have watched this movie uh, without this encouragement because I don't like possession movies like mm -hmm. Exorcist or things I don't 
like that at all uh and so i just the title alone was like eh, i don't know i'm not gonna like it but i actually found it really fun i was very surprised and i thought it was genuinely funny and even some of the sort of gross elements to it i think kind of are fun like in the way that i don't know like a kid playing with slime you know mm-hmm. kind of gross mm-hmm. in that kind of fun sort of immature like he 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 kind of a way it's it's fun yeah. And I, I think I realized that that horror horror comedy is definitely more my jam than mm-hmm. horror horror. Right. I was thinking about it. Yeah. That I like uh with like a touch of over the topness is is what I like. Yes. I also think um one more thing I want to bring up is I feel like this is a very well written movie and I we don't really seem to think of, you know, horror or like purely popcorn entertainment movies as well written but I think the screenplay screenplay is very tight and it's very like everything that is set up is paid off later and everything you know I feel like there's not a scene that doesn't make sense or that it's not supposed to be there or that it's like just padding it just feels like very uh well written like it's very lean I really like that about it too yeah I agree I agree it was it was a big surprise so thanks for recommending it to me that was fun i'm glad you Uh, liked it yeah so all right big news my number one is up pixar's up pixar's up for a long time i've always said it's my favorite movie like not just of 2009 i absolutely love this movie and a lot of people love the first 10 minutes which i think are or so the brilliant married life sequence i i love that i think it's so great uh but i also think the whole movie is great not just that first (laughs) 10 minutes i i love the whole thing with carl sort of he has all this regret of what he wishes he could have given ellie but he wasn't able to give her and the the fact that their dreams were constantly getting literally crashed through like they had come out to break that that uh that safe that they had and and uh, they he always felt like he didn't give her the life that she deserved and so he has this regret it's just weighing him down and so he finally does this crazy thing with this house and obviously you have to be willing to suspend disbelief to you know enjoy the film and uh you've got russell and kevin and and all of this fun stuff kind of there that's really charming and uh and i had a very special relationship with my grandpa who was just my hero in life and whenever i watch this movie even though he wasn't really like carl hardly at all i don't know for some reason it makes me think of him and just how loving he was and the way that carl loves ellie it makes me think of my grandpa and i just i love it i love the music i love at the end when he is he sees ellie's note to him in the book and Mm. and keep on you know go have another great adventure and then he realizes that he can be basically a father figure for russell and i think it's so sweet and it just gets me every time when he reads that in that book Mm -hmm. and i actually had a, a when i bought my house i had a whole up themed housewarming party where i had my own adventure book and i actually had a full cake up cake design for me which was like a dream i'd always wanted to have like a fancy cake and (laughs) so that was memorable and i i just love it i think it's great 
and uh, it's it's just a movie that i can put on any day and just feel good and uh so i love it great i i think it's a lovely lovely movie i also really really like up um i actually had thought in the years since i last saw it which was probably in 2009 or thereabouts um i had like almost like cooled off on it a little bit and i didn't remember it as one of the best Pixar movies or a movie that I particularly loved or anything like that. But rewatching it, I was really surprised that um, that I had, you know, kind of forgotten about it because I actually think it's really great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I guess I'm a little bit in the minority or at least like you. I actually think the beginning, like you say, it's very daring, the whole married life thing. And it's very, a great way for the setup. But I think the real stuff is later i really love that it's this sort of like adventure thing that it's just like you know the two guys are going on this adventure and there's a a bird and then there's a dog and then this happens and i don't know it feels like something that i really like this time around is that it feels very sort of simple and loose and like playful in a way that i think and a lot of people might disagree with me but i think pixar has gone in a very uh overbearing direction i feel like in a lot of movies and it feels like there's a lot of world building a lot of plotting and maybe too much of it i think something like up is more the kind of thing that i'm into in which you're just sort of like you know going in an adventure and uh, there's like some set pieces and there's funny things but it's not like it doesn't have to be this huge overbearing thing um yeah, and I agree with you with the thing with the note is just like absolutely heartbreaking. Like I cry like a baby every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I'm so excited for Pete Doctor to now be running Pixar. I just I cannot wait to see what is happening already with the Spark Shorts. He's, you know, getting some new creative energy into the studio, and I just love. I love his movies. I think he's just hit it. I think Inside Out is brilliant. I love Up. And I think Monsters, Inc. is is really solid. So I don't know. I just think that he's just a really great director. And it just has such warmth to it. And uh, it also, it can be quite funny at times. And they Mm -hmm. do have a huge plot hole with obviously with months being the same kind of age when he was watching him as an adult when he was a child like carl was watching him as a child why are now they this, oh. basically the same age but... I, thought he was, I can buy that i don't think that's a huge plot hole he's just a little older you know like when you get older the age difference is not that big anymore it doesn't look two old people don't look that different from each other but the reason why they did that was because originally they were going to have kevin's eggs be like a fountain of youth kind of a thing oh. but it was just too distracting from the overall plot and so they said we're just gonna trust that we've done enough goodwill that they'll for people will forgive right this and i i have no problem forgiving it i mean you're already mm-hmm. believing that a house could you know on these balloons mm-hmm. and stuff and he is so it's fine with me but uh anyway it's it's just one of my favorite movies of all time i absolutely yeah, also kevin we need to talk about kevin <laughs> kevin is a legend i love kevin yeah, yeah. he's so funny and he's so well animated the animation on kevin is an incredible yeah such a physical you know presence mm-hmm. 
Kevin, best supporting actor yeah. or actress, actually. <laughs> yes, that's and right. I'm say Kevin is my best supporting actress for 2009. And I know a lot of people hate the dogs. I I like the dog. I think they're funny. I you know the I like so. But the communicator that is broken, yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I like the dogs. So what do you? This is very exciting. We are, I guess mm-hmm. we already kind of know, but what is your number one? My number one is. Where the wild things oh are. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. <laughs> and let me tell you something. Back in 2009, I saw the trailer for Where the Wild Things Are. And I had never read the book as a kid. Uh-huh. But I saw the trailer and I was so excited. It felt like it was this movie that was on my wavelength. Like the idea of having these huge puppets and only the faces be CGI and this whole aesthetic and have the arcade fire soundtrack and everything. It is an amazing trailer, just regardless of whether or not you like mm-hmm. the movie. I was so excited for the movie. I was maybe too excited or maybe I was just too young. I don't know. But when I saw it, it was a bit, a bit of a disappointment. So uh-huh. I had always had it in the back of my mind that this movie that I wanted to be so great, but it just wasn't. Uh-huh. But this time I watched it in preparation for this. And suddenly everything sort of aligned and it clicked for me and I got it. And I don't know how that happened but it just worked for me this time and it was like uh it was just an emotional experience i was totally transported i agree with what you say about this whole idea of this little angry boy and having no control and feeling like uh you know helpless like you have no power and um you know like the frustrations of being a kid and then you have this whole like I, I love the wild things as in yeah. design and in personalities. I feel like each of them has is so funny and so unique and they bring their own thing to dynamic and they like represent all these things that children would do, you know, like there's the angry kid and then there's like sort of like the almost like the insecure kid and the like more quiet kid and the you know um and then there's this whole emotional element that I love about, um, I don't know, it just, it just works for me so well. Mm-hmm. I do love um, James Gandolfini as Carol, mm-hmm. um, his performance. If Kevin is my supporting actor, then Gandolfini is my supporting actor. Mm-hmm. I think he did such an incredible job. And obviously, I don't know if you ever watched The Sopranos, but like at this point, he was uh, mostly known for playing Tony Soprano in television. And mm-hmm. Carol is kind of kind of like Tony Soprano in that, you know, that guy is basically like a big overgrown kid and you have this like monster, but a totally different register from his job on the TV show in which he's so sweet and sometimes he's out of control in this movie, but he's also so innocent and he means well. And I don't know, it's just such a, it just connects with mm-hmm. me somehow, mm-hmm. that emotion. Yeah, I love the scene when they're they're talking and the little boy, I forget his name in the movie, but Max, he, Max that's right. And he uh, uh, tells him about the sun mm. and how like immediately concerned uh, that Carol is about that and how worried he is. And they really capture that whole worry of childhood. But he I, doesn't show him. That's the what I find so touching about that scene is that Max, uh, Carol says, like, how are you going to be worried about the sun? It's just this tiny little thing. 
and sort of like to calm Max down, yeah. but then you see his face and you can see that he's really worried about it too, right? right. And I think that is such a, I don't know, that's stuck with me so much because yeah. that's so truthful of like life as a kid, I feel like, yeah. and it's understanding those, the world. Like I remember as a kid reading something like The Diary of Anne Frank and just being so worried about how people could do that and how that could happen and, mm-hmm. and being very upset. And I remember, I, I mean, I've been an insomniac literally my entire life. Even when I was a baby, I didn't sleep well. I've never slept well my whole no life. Way. And, uh, and I, as a kid, I used to just sit up at night and just stare at the, at the ceiling and just think about these things and, and, uh, and just wonder why people were, were like that and why people you know couldn't be better and couldn't be <laughs> and mm-hmm. i there's kind of a famous story of my mom coming in and seeing seeing me as you know out of sleep and she's like go to sleep you know i'm sure i was very <laughs> frustrated as a parent but i i said <laughs> i said to her go away i'm thinking <laughs> <laughs> and she's like okay fine and so i I don't know. I I think this movie captures that part of childhood just so well. And I'm so excited that you kind of rediscovered it. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm very happy about it. It was such a lovely experience. So I guess to anyone who maybe was on the fence back in 2009, maybe give it another shot. You never know. Yeah. It's at the very least a movie that makes interesting choices. So I think you'd... Mm -hmm. And even if you don't love it, like we love it, I I think you'd be fascinated by it and the choices it makes. So very good. Well, there you go. We've got our list. Let's quickly go over our picks. So number 10, I have Young Victoria. Number nine, Secret of Kells. Number eight, Star Trek. Number seven, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Six, Up in the Air. Five, A Town Called Panic. Four, Coraline. Three, Where the Wild Things Are. Two, Five Iron Days of Summer number one up all right and my list is number 10 about ellie number nine cloudy with a chance of meatballs number eight mother number seven dog tooth number six inglorious bastards number five everyone else number four bright star number three the fantastic mr fox number two drag me to hell and number one where the wild things are yay all right well great this has been really fun i really enjoyed doing this and so thanks so much and where can people find you people can find me on twitter and that would be under the handle coco hits new york you can also go on my blog which is coco hits ny.wordpress.com and you can find me on letterboxd too if you're into that yeah and i'll have links for all that in the description section definitely check that out and you can find me at rachel's reviews all of our social media and on ron tomatoes and on itunes and youtube so definitely please check that out if you're listening on itunes if you can give us your ratings and reviews really appreciate it and if you are listening on youtube give us a thumbs up subscribe to the channel we sure appreciate it and check us out we're going to be starting doing our second episode of the criterion project uh once the channel starts up next week so that will be really fun so definitely check that out and uh thanks so much i really appreciate it i'll be back yes (laughs) all right bye